Welcome to Journey to the Centre of Food, a voyage of discovery for curious foodies everywhere. My name's Jay Taylor, I'll be your pilot for this adventure along with our navigator and food fact finder James Winter. Hello. And on today's show we are playing with fire with a Michelin starred chef as we take a trip to Scandinavia to be joined by possibly Sweden's most famous chef and someone who's pioneering new Nordic cuisine in a very old-fashioned way of cooking uh, by bringing the natural world indoors and playing with fire. Plus, James is going to be dazzling our taste buds with some truly strange meats. And we have yet another quiz for you, this time around the origins of some of our most famous fizzy drinks. So without further ado, put on your warmest jacket and snow boots as we set off on a journey to the centre of Mott, which apparently means food in Swedish. Hello, James. How are you, sir? Hey, Jay. I'm very good. Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yes, exciting guest host oh, today. For, oh, absolutely. Looking forward to this one. He's one of my favourite men, let alone <laughs> chef, uh, in, in the entire world of, of, that I've met, you know, and many colourful and, and wonderful characters through my journey through food. And, and this Nicholas Exit, or as we've we learnt just in the pre chat, we just can call him Mott. Yes, apparently. Yeah, that's allowed. This, which is fabulous. <laughs> food. Just call him food. Just shout mott into the tip. <laughs> which is, which it's is. It's lovely to define everybody just by what their kind of associated thing in life was. I don't know what they shout at you and I, but it'd be. TV! Oi, TV! TV. <laughs> Light entertainment over there. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? It'd be brilliant. And yes, as you were saying, I mean, a very exciting person to talk to as well because talk about cooking, cooking in the raw. This is this is awesome. Cooking with fire. Yeah, and and it's it's a really big ambition to to take that concept and make it work in a confined space. You know, anyone who's ever tried to cook over an open fire in the outside space with the whole air ways to, to circulate the smoke will know what a challenge that is. But to, to turn that into Michelin-starred cuisine and consistently cook food over it and be creative and not panic and not set yourself on fire and all sorts of stuff, <laughs> it's, it's quite an extraordinary achievement, you know. So yeah, hats off for doing that, for the ambition. But also, it's 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 a way of cooking that, as you said, it's, you know, it's, it's older than time you know it is you know it's it's part of our dna some people would argue it's for for defining a discovery that mankind has made not only harnessing fire but learning to cook with it it's it's part of who we are so to tap into that is really kind of you know it, it just resonates so deeply with uh, with the human eating experience it's it's wonderful plus we are going to have to take him to task over certain tins of fish that we endured a little well, while of course ago he is the man responsible yes. for one of the most traumatic events in my recent history <laughs> <laughs> uh, but before we get to nicolas a very quick thing i was uh, rummaging through old headlines and uh you know with christmas coming up and obviously booze in our horizon i saw a headline now this was in the daily mail so take it as you you know you you see fit but the, the headline is champagne was invented by the english champagne was invented by the english you can imagine i mean perfect well it's true Cl clearly i mean <laughs> that's our terms. we could we could stop there what, but this is not explore this story any further <laughs> this is not some awful farage type making the headline this is um mr tattinger himself pierre emmanuel Ooh. tattinger uh the boss of tattinger champagne he said in an interview with le figaro um, apparently, champagne was created by mistake. Benedictine monks were supplying us with still wines from champagne, uh, red and whites, and we didn't like them. They're a bit cheap. So we left the still white wines on the docks in London and they got cold and started to undergo a second fermentation. And uh, it was a great mistake that led to a, a great invention. It's quite interesting, isn't it? 
if, yeah, if it's absolutely. if it's true, I mean, Slow, yeah, well, it's I, well, we know it's true. I mean, again, stop undermining this. This is a <laughs> fabulous piece of journalism by some of the country's greatest, <laughs> we need most to, accurate reporters of the news. We so, need to uh, rename it, it though, where it comes from. So instead of being champagne, it will have to be like Felixstowe or, or Liverpool docks or one of the wherever, yeah. the wherever the docks. It won't be quite as glamorous to have a bottle of well, Felixstowe. I think Felixstowe is nice. A have a bottle of Felixstowe, please. Bottle of hull, please. That'd be, yeah, if you like, yeah. Wherever the Benedictine yeah, monks Humber. hang out. A bit of Humber. Yeah. That'd be... Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and later on with uh, Nicholas, you're going to be <laughs> presenting us with some unusual meats. Well, I, I mean, what we've taught... We always like an unusual flavour on in this programme. And, you know, we've, we've tried and talked about lots of different things. So I've managed to find a, a list of, of things that I suppose would be classed as exotic. I think some of them are strictly illegal. Um, meats <laughs> and foods that apparently have been tried and someone has recorded what they think it supposedly tastes like so I thought it would be interesting to see if you guys could ident- you know, oh well, identify what this kind of food might taste a little bit like Brilliant. So, I for the morally incl- morally inclined, oh, tune out oh, later. It's going to be an absolute turn off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Come back. skip on ten minutes. <laughs> uh, but so, for for that, let's drag him down with us. Let's get to our guest host for today. Uh, Chef Niklas Ekstad has taken traditional Swedish food to a new level at his multiple restaurants. At his Michelin-starred restaurant Ekstad, located in downtown Stockholm, he brings the natural world indoors, transforming raw ingredients into fine cuisine solely through the use of fire, ash soot and smoke there's no gas or electricity used in the cooking this is a very ancestral way of cooking and because of this he's become a national and international celebrity hosting cooking shows and authoring several books Uh, and now he has his first restaurant outside of stockholm well outside of sweden uh, in westminster london called exted at the yard which is very exciting and we are very lucky and honored to welcome to journey the center of food chef niklas exted hello sir welcome thank you an honour. It's wonderful to have you here. You're joining us live from Sweden, right? This is how international. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm, I'm in my house, uh, 20 minutes north of Stockholm. So. It's... And when I spoke to you briefly on the phone this week, just ahead of this, you you were you were saying that you'd forgotten how dark it gets. In Sweden. <laughs> it's it's difficult. I mean, every year you're kind of reminded about it. I mean, you think you think it's not going to be as bad as last year but it just gets worse it's just <laughs> it's just so I didn't say this. dark i think you just be used to it yeah no, I, yeah I, and we always think that england's dark and gloomy so it's nice to know there's somewhere darker and gloomier well this earth. i fly to london every second week for the weather and the lights i mean <laughs> i've never heard that that's a brilliant come and escape here and and it's just curious, though, because you've obviously born and bred over there, and yet mm. you still struggle with this. This, this. Yeah, idea. I think. What do you... I think when I was younger, I, you you didn't mind it as much. I don't know. You were out more about with your friends. You were out on bars. I don't know. Now it's just like in the morning when I wake up, and in the afternoon when it's dark, and during the day when it's dark, it's just difficult. It's just difficult. What coping mechanisms do people do people get? Uh, you know, growing up there. Well, I think that I mean we do we, we we are by law supposed to give our kids vitamin D every morning, right? Either in drops or in tablet form. Wow. Um, no yeah. So that that I suck at that. I'm very happy that I have a very <laughs> organized wife because she remembers those pills. Uh, I have a, I have a bad habit of forgetting to give them that. Um, but and then I guess that 
I mean, lately, I mean, of course, we're traveling people in the in the dark months. I mean, Thailand, if you go out to Stockholm airport, you'll see, or used to see before COVID, you would see 35 flights a day to, to Bangkok. I mean, Thailand is, it's, it's so popular destination here in Sweden. A lot of people go there during November, December, January. And, um, uh, but I guess now you can't travel that in that extent so it's it's been difficult for a lot of people and it's been a big debate in newspapers and tv about how to tackle it and how to get to you know to get your mood in a in a good way i mean but it, i guess eating well is, is a good way of eating it as well to get you know get your vitamins and eat well that get gets you feel better um but another important thing is to just to get out you know just to walk well it's interesting you, you talk about getting out because in reading up on, on your background stuff, mm. uh, in terms of the origins, I mean, it'd be great if you could explain to our listeners how you cook, what makes your cooking you, the way you do it in your restaurants now, but also the origins of it, because I think there's an interesting story about how you were first inspired to start cooking like this. Yeah, I mean, to be frank, it was in a, in, in, in a period of my life when I was kind of like a little depressed and a little stressed with where my life was going i was in my early 30s and uh, we just had a our first son and uh, running restaurants and having babies ain't the best combination it's difficult <laughs> and also my restaurant wasn't the I, I had a fine dining restaurant and then i closed it and then i opened a brasserie uh, and a lot of my other friends, uh, especially the people that used to work with me, like Rene Redzepi and friends from school like Magnus Nilsson, and all of these chefs, they were booming, to say the least. They were having the time of their life. You know, they were number one in the world and they got Michelin stars and everything. And I was at home with a baby and a, a pretty mediocre brasserie at the time as well. <laughs> Uh, so I felt I missed the train a little bit. And I think a lot of people can refer to that in that age, you know, around 30. It's, it's a difficult time in your life because you, ha you can see, you know, you want to be a family man, but at the same time, you maybe you want to be like, uh, it's, you, you, want, you want to do a career as well. I think mm -hmm. having children is something that God didn't think of that well because it gives you to the in the worst worst time in your life. They should give baby they should give babies to people who are like 60, 70 instead. Yeah. <laughs> Why do they give babies to kids who are like 25, 35 when they're supposed to have their like time of their life working? Was there like a moment where you 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 really just really had to think about what kind of food you wanted to cook yeah. if you wanted to cook at all and where it was going yeah so that's yeah so it was actually a day in my life there was one day i kind of like figured it out so it is so it was pretty much i uh, we we bought this house out on the islands uh in in stockholm on the archipelago here uh and it was summer month it was in june early june and we had didn't have any electricity in the house uh, so I started playing around in the, in the in the garden with like the wood and we started cooking. And then I kind of like thought of it like, why, what is this kind of like, why we, we, I had a friend over and we started talking about pizza and wood oven pizza and, and American barbecue. And then why, why Scandinavia did not have 
and analog cooking? Why did we not use uh, old techniques? Why why are all old techniques are when I, when we thought of them, we thought of them as like maybe the tandoori oven or the barbecue or the wood oven. We couldn't come up with one thing that was very Swedish or Scandinavian. And then, of course, we've been cooking, of course, with fire as long as those uh, food cultures. So I started, so I just that afternoon, I just went into the Royal Library in Stockholm and started researching about live fire and, and old Scandinavian cooking techniques. And I was wow. so I was so excited about the idea of doing a Nordic live fire and, and ancient cooking techniques. So when I drove home, my wife called me and said, "Like, don't forget to fill the car up because it has no gas left." But no, but I forgot, so I ran out of fuel in the middle of nowhere, and this guy with a <laughs> tractor had to come and help me fuel up my car. <laughs> That's great. But, you remember yeah, that day? That's yeah. like a chef mind thing where you're thinking yeah. so much about one thing, yeah. and just break down. So that was like yeah. a genuine, like a eureka moment almost. You had a yeah. day when it was suddenly yeah. like yeah. curiosity was just yeah. sparked. I, I drew the kitchen and the kitchen line and, and everything on a napkin uh, that evening. So the, the whole restaurant came came along with it, and then and does it reflect that drawing now? I mean, is it pretty you know reflective of what it kind of looks like in a in a simple way now, or is it totally different? It's almost identical. It's it's this one thing that's mirror swapped in the Stockholm restaurant, but otherwise it's 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 the same. Wow. Um, yeah. Now I know you're not supposed to drink and podcast but right now i don't care because i happen to be sitting here with a very lovely bottle of white wine it's called le revieux and it's from southwest france and it's exactly the kind of wine that i would never normally have found in the shop the reason i'm drinking it uh, is because we're very lucky to have a new sponsor who have sent us some bottles of wine and the great news is you can get them too for completely free. Please may I introduce you to our new favourite wine club, Wine 52. It's a monthly wine discovery club and they're so sure you're going to love their wines, you can grab your first case completely free, basically like I've done as well. All you need to do is go to www.wine52.com forward slash journey that's wine and the numbers 52.com forward slash journey and cover the cost of postage which is five pounds 95 and you're going to get three bottles delivered right to your door wine 52 is a wine club with a difference instead of stocking thousands of wines from hundreds of producers wine 52 only selects the very best of the best the expert wine tasters search out the most exciting wine regions and top undiscovered winemakers in the world and bring them to your door and it's great. I tell you what, this wine is fantastic. I'm really genuinely enjoying it. And it's absolutely not the kind of thing I would ever normally have found for myself, but it is wonderful. And the great thing is, along with the wines that they send you, they also send you a book which tells you all about the winemakers and the wines you're drinking. So you can learn a little bit more about it as well. Each month, they send their members three wines and you can customize them to your taste by choosing from a case of white, red, or a mixture. And then after your free case, you'll be part of a monthly wine club with no minimum commitment. You can cancel or pause it anytime you like. So join me for a glass of wine and remember that wine52.com forward slash journey and you can claim your free case today. Right, let's get back to some Michelin starred fire cooking. Was the journey once you'd, you'd had that moment of thinking this is this is my direction now? Yeah. How soon was it when you started to kind of think actually I can I can I, I can actually do this? You know, is there that moment where you have an idea and you get a load of logs and you start thinking what can I cook and you think okay there's a whole number of 
different factors at play. Yeah. Was, it, was it something that came quite quickly? Well, cooking, cooking it is not what wasn't the big problem actually. It's kind of all came to me what to do and and how to do it. The big the big struggle was doing it for guests and in the contemporary environment because people were so used to eating kind of like out of an a la carte and choosing and being pampered with that the chef has a you know a, an induction oven or a microwave or whatever he has so he gets the food out in, in in an instant but but of course we i was very limited with the technique i had and i wanted it to be a restaurant you know i didn't want it to be a museum i wanted it to be a proper restaurant and being scandinavian of course the competition is horrendous i mean i would say that scandinavia is probably except for japan maybe the most difficult place to cook because people are so unforgiving you know they're not like the brits that they put like a trip advisor you know review or tell you that the restaurant is okay or not okay in, in scandinavians they come they eat they don't like it they'll never come back and they'll never recommend it to anyone they never oh. give you a second chance or anything they're very wow very wow, harsh brutal. yeah they're brutal they're just like I'd, I'd say like the worst thing you can get from a Scandinavian is, 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 is like nothing. If you know, if they're not, if they're not saying anything, that means, oh no, it all gone to hell. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> yeah, you're done. It's like, if they say like, oh, I don't know, it was okay. That's actually like a compliment, you know, but it, it, <laughs> it, it's, it's not, not hearing anything or not hearing back from them or just the silence. That's like, you're assassinated. Uh, How do you with that with your technique? Mm. Of, you're cooking on an open fire, right? And I, mm-hmm. I, I instinctively, in my mind, seems like all the chefs we speak to, consistency and control mm. is so much part of being able to produce cuisine for restaurants. Because, mm-hmm. like you say, you need that ability to be able to produce the same thing over and over again. Mm. How do you? How do those two worlds collide? How do you find a way to control it that you can produce consistently? consistently good stuff uh well one way that i figured out pretty early on was that i needed a set menu and uh you know that not a la carte never work it it won't it will never work it's just i need a set menu and i need um the guests to be very aware of what they're having uh, so that was the main problem the first six months in the restaurant was that if the, if the guests didn't know what restaurant they were going to, then they would be not ready for it. It would be kind of like showing someone a sushi restaurant without ever knowing that you actually could eat raw fish. And right. So, yeah. so it, it was, and, and then also it was, it, so, but then, you know, after a while, I kind of like our reputation and, and awards and, and, and not good reviews from, from food, food critics actually helped us a lot, it made, made us more legit to say. What is it about the technique that changes the food or makes it different or gives you the thing that you first got hooked on in terms of this cutting untapped area? I, I guess it, it, it's kind of like the technique, it, 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 it's, it, it's part of the dish and the flavor. Uh, which is usually in the modern cuisine, it's more like a texture thing, right? If you cook something sous vide, it's not going to change the flavor dramatically. It's more going to be a texture uh, focus. Or if you're using a, a, 
and uh, you know a modern supercomputer oven it'll you you can put that steam or that heat into and, and that thermometer into that complete and utterly perfection you know but with the fire you you're suddenly in shallow water and you'll need to be focusing on what you're doing and you can't really rely on on, on the thermometer and the heat to to support you you need to be focusing on uh the cooking and uh, the technique and also kind of like the pan can also be something that flavors the food and uh you know in 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 a, in, a, in a modern kind of stove you would probably look at something that would just give it color or, or an exact temperature Sure. So, yeah. so you use cast iron for the, your your cooking, do you? Is that yeah? How you, nine, you do that ninety five percent. I mean, there are sometimes sources that I need to be used stainless steel because so they don't turn dark or just not too much of that iron flavor. But almost all the things I do, I do in cast iron. Smoking as well. I mean, I was looking at one of your mm -hmm. cod smoke with juniper branches. In terms of yeah. the wood you use, did you have to spend? Yeah. much time exploring experimenting with the different smells yeah. and textures of wood i started off with using different types of wood and i looked into apple and oak and all kind of different things and and that was something that i did probably the first two three years but then when i went further into my cooking i kind of settled into the birch being the wood that i preferred and so now i almost only use birch and juniper for more smoking why, why was it birch that you settled on? What was it about it? Um, well, one of the reasons is that, uh, you know, competing with barbecue in a sense. I mean, barbecue is, I mean, Texas barbecue is probably what most people think of when they think of open fire cooking and, and grilling and so on. Mm. But actually, uh, Texas barbecue comes from Scandinavia and from Eastern Europe. It was something that the white uh, Christian migrants brought with them to Texas, the smoking techniques of smoking sausages and smoking briskets. Wow. And when they located in, in, in Texas, uh, they blended in with the German community and they started and they usually were had small supermarkets, what the convenience stores. And the convenience stores usually had a Scandinavian or Eastern European smoker in the back. And that's where they, so similar one that we smoke fish and they started smoking the local beef and the local cattle, whatever they got their hands on. And that turned into this Texas kind of like barbecue that we know of today. And I uh, so I, so when they, so I wanted my, and that is very oak. Um, mm. So slow and low is done when it's done properly, it's done with oak. And I just didn't want those flavors because I didn't want people to get, you know, I wanted something else. So the, the one thing when I use that types of more thicker wood, more, you know, like, like, like oak or apple, it turned into that people were referring to Texas cooking. Hmm. And, and so I guess you you don't want to. It's not a barbecue restaurant, would you say? Is that is that a fair thing to? That's say? been not, that's I mean. been my challenge and something that yeah. really been been something that I really need to talk to people to. And I thought that I spent ten years on 
telling people, but still I had a headline in Evening Standard a couple of weeks ago, it said the barbecue, barbecue king. king. Like, <laughs> Great. Well, you know. I'm like, God, here I, I mean, am. That's... You know, that would be like, you know, oh, it's just constant trying. But at least, yes, but, yeah. but it's a really def definitive and interesting and important point, isn't it? I mean, this isn't, because you, you, I suppose you're not cooking over the kind of hot coals of, of, of burnt oak, are you? No. I mean, you're, you're creating very different. Mm. I mean, we talk a lot about food chemistry, and we've, we've talked to Harold McGee here, obviously Heston and, mm. and lots of others, you know, about the, the, the nuances of, of flavour creation and in different ways of cooking. It's, it's, it's infinitely different when you're cooking over a live fire and you're cooking with a piece of sort of glowing ember. I mean, you create a different bit of chemistry yeah. on the surface of what you're doing. Yeah, so and that's what... It is a different product. Exactly, and that's why I've been trying not to use beef for example i use very little pork i try to use seafood vegetables fish game kind of give those people that on you you know things that they weren't referring to us on they would think of that they would put on their grill and also give people a new experience because maybe they you know the, most people have already had like that type of grilled food and uh, so I, w I always try to give people a new experience and something surprising you. But, and yeah, so that, so that was a, a long, long answer on why I, why I use birch. But that's why <laughs> I use birch, because birch is not uh, a, a common flavor uh, that people are not used to. So, it, so they get a little surprised. And, but it's not. But we come yeah. across the use of birch sap and things, don't we? Here? Mm -hmm. I mean, we do. You use the sap of a birch, but mm. you're right. I mean, people don't think about using it for for wood burning no. or other other flavors. Because mm. I guess I mean you're probably more familiar. In fact, you probably do know. Well, but I do. But there's a lot of. I assume there's quite a lot of birch in in England where we are. Mm. But you know, is is quite a good resource for you because part of my thinking was okay. You've 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 cracked it and you've 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 built a system. Um, in yeah, but works in your restaurant in Stockholm. But obviously, you've chosen to kind of lift the model of that and shift it over the ocean and put it in the, the sort of heart of London. Yeah, you know, to to do the same process again. So you must have had one a logistical problem. But but talk us through that journey because it must have been quite a, quite a endeavour. Um, yeah, I mean, the the London project's been a long one coming. I mean, first I had like before COVID, I probably struggled with it for two three years trying to get it open and then that first location kind of all went to hell and uh, <laughs> then and and then when it was done with that we we you know we were approached by this hotel that i'm in at the moment the great scotland yard but then of course the whole pandemic came uh in between so it was another delay but yeah but now we're open and since september we we've been we've been in operation and it's it's we've been really well and uh, the one thing that do you bring your wood does the wood come from from Sweden? No, 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 no. It's you, from Whitney. You source, so you've sourced it all in yeah. Whitney. Yeah, is that near? Where's that? Is it Oxford? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so a lot of these things you've you've managed to replicate and find and source in in Britain mm -hmm. somewhere. Have you? Actually, we do it even more sustainable than we do in Scandinavia. So one of the reasons also by why I'm in love with birch is because birch is this tree that we need to plant more with. So bear with me. You're thinking like he's burning it all. But, <laughs> uh, but, but you know, the, we, we planted a lot of it. And then, so what the one thing, the one problem they have here in Scandinavia is that the forest industry is very kind of like only stick to uh, juniper trees. 
and they need they want they, they need to plant more leaf trees because of uh, getting it more um, ecological uh, and and giving the, the broader diversity and trees is important for for the landscape and uh, then uh, so that's why I used birch and then when I came across to England I started talking to uh, guys that makes charcoal and plant trees and they were very excited about this because the, that they have the same thing in, in England but they need more birch as well and uh, so having using them uh, in, a, in a moderate way and a sustainable way is, is it's it's a good reason for the for the people that own the land to plant more birch. Mm. I can see you, Nicholas, planting a great birch forest across the, the middle of England to, to go with the great sort of oak and apple forest of, of William the Conqueror in yeah. those days. Come and fill the middle of England yeah. with birch trees. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna remember me. But uh, <laughs> the, the, there's, this, uh, there's this other thing that's really that's really nice with the birch is that it's, it, you can use it in so many ways. We use it... Uh, not only the, we use the wood its, itself to flavor dairy products and uh, uh, we make uh, ice cream with it and uh, we, uh, we, 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 use, we use the sap as you said we use the leaves and we use it in many different ways how do you make ice cream with it what we do is we take dairy right take milk and a little bit of cream and then we just chop off some of the fresh wood and then we just dip that into the dairy products and let it sit wow and uh, yeah and it's uh, it's kind of amazing it sets like it turns into like a sour cream almost you, we make butter out of it as well or we just make creme fresh with it as well gosh that's remarkable uh, so, it's, mm. so it splits the milk in some way yeah it, does it? yeah it uses as a um, additive so to speak mm. i think it's uh lecithin that's in the wood naturally that's why in the older days in sweden they used to make soap from birch and what about the? You said about leaves. They're using the leaves as well. Mm-hmm. What do you do with the leaves? Yeah, the leaves can, the leaves can be used in many different ways. I mean, the the most common way here in Sweden is just to use it as a similar to soap. So you put you take water and then you take the fresh leaves and you put the water in and then you just mix it with the water and then you have kind of like a natural shampoo or something to put on your body. We use it in the sauna all the time in Finland and Sweden. Huh. So you always have fresh birch branches in the sauna in the water and um, but then also you can use the leaves in cook tea out of it you we we, we can caramelize them we can pickle them uh, we use them in various different ways i'm curious nicholas when yeah. when you how challenging is it to train up new chefs to work in your kitchen especially early on because I might be be completely wrong, but this doesn't feel like the kind of thing that people come out of any kind of college having been taught. No. My favorite chefs to recruit from are South Americans. Um, I mean, now in in the restaurant in Stockholm, probably 50% of everyone that works there are from South America, either from Argentina or Chile. or. um, So we, yeah, we one of the reasons is that they're used to like live fire cooking and they usually trained early on on the asados and, and cooking. And then uh, when once you have two Spanish-speaking people in the restaurant, there'll be four. <laughs> uh, it's, they, they, they recruit their cousin or brother or something. <laughs> it's a great way. To, uh, so so it's, a pack, handy, it's, yeah. it's a package. Yeah, so it's a good way of... <laughs> 
the kind of instinct to having grown up with the 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 flavors and the tastes and just knowing how it works so 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 the and the, the other one is that i'd never like when on the cv or when someone is texting me or recruiting me said uh, I love open fire cooking. My dream is to come and work in your restaurant. I know that's never going to work. Oh. That's not. Yeah. Why? The, the, I, that's a little tip for anyone listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, be, be, yeah. Why? Because they have this idea of grilling will be, this will be fun. I'd rather have someone that, you know, that has no experience or, you know, worked at it. Yeah. Anything but grill uh because we don't grill and we don't we, we're not a barbecue joint and we're not a wood oven pizza place uh mm. so they think that the cooking is going to be rustique and that you'll need to be a man to do it but uh, my experience is that it's better if you're a little delicate and maybe used to pastry or yeah, I was hearing you talking um, earlier. I was doing yeah. some research, and I saw you speaking to someone about hay smoking, and you were saying how mm-hmm. how delicate and easy that is to get wrong. Is that right? What you were saying about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the the, the one thing that if you, well, you know, it's just men being masculine and trying to grill, and they think that it's force and power, and, and then you, it'll just turn into a bonfire. <laughs> uh, so. Yes. Uh, so it's better with people who are like a little more like afraid of it and take it, you know, don't have a, have less confidence, I guess, like just being more humble to the experience and trying to do it. That, that's usually when it turns out much better. A lot of your dishes and a lot of your food, are, it's about the use of berries mm. and, and those sort of flavors. And obviously I always think of Scandinavian food of having this incredibly wide array of different sorts of berries mm. and the delicate different flavors that they have and i wondered if you know i mean a lot of people will obviously if they know swedish food and your food they will know some of these things but wonderful things like the, the cloud berries mm. and lingonberries and and all these kind of things i mean how do, how does that balance with the i mean are you always looking for that balance in the flavor is it always some way to to incorporate them for you is that yeah how it it's, it's very true it's it's difficult to take that aspect out of my cooking and out of my dna i mean i think that the 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 way that scandinavians forage and the way that we pick our berries and do it for the house or for uh, for the family is something that's very deeply rooted and something that everyone does i mean it's it's done in such a scale that it's almost difficult to buy it in the supermarkets because there's no point of the supermarket supplying it because people just pick them themselves and uh, those kind of like the traditional uh, way of preserving and pickling berries is just that we have it so much in our everyday life and on the table that we I'm so used to it and it's difficult it's like chilies in in South American cooking or spices in in Asian cooking it's something that's just not need to be there and also it is has very kind of like um strong um nostalgic memories into dishes as well one thing i was curious to ask you we have a lot of chefs listening to this and we we ask our guests along with the successes 
it's always fa- fun to share a glorious failure along the way. <laughs> Are there any experiences you had when you first embraced this style of cooking, which went spectacularly wrong? Oh yeah, man. You know, I'm not a great cook. That's the the why I kind of like fail a lot. It's not like I've had like I've had I've worked with great cooks. You know, I mean, like, I've I've had I I have great cooks. I mean, splendid very talented cooks working next to me but i'm not one of them you know i'm i think that i'm i'm like i'm i'm a visionary i i i love food i'm fascinated about it i know how good food tastes i eat i eat art a lot and i you know I've, I've grown into this occupation purely in 100% of passion and the one thing that so i but but you know the w- being lacking that super talent that I don't have is being that I'm I kind of like dive into things that I might not uh, be very experienced or or you know talented about then then that usually that turns into big failures (laughs) that's the way to do it though isn't it both feet in and then see where it takes you yeah and uh and, and especially when you apply massive fire to that and <laughs> being in the middle of a city <laughs> yes. so i had I, I had this one uh we i talked about i was in, in, in this this talk show in sweden uh with a famous musician that plays you songs and interview and i i did that the other actually last week and and he reminded me of this tabloid first page and um, I can walk you through that night if you want. Absolutely. Uh, and so, the, so that so that night, I, we I was late. I was working late in the restaurant in Stockholm, and I was probably this time of year because it was dark. And I I went home, and I was just knackered. I was so tired, and I don't know. It was one of those evenings when you thought like something's wrong, you know. And then I went up the bedroom, and I fell asleep like in an instant, probably before I even brushed my teeth. And then my wife came running into the bedroom like, wake up, wake up, wake up. There's a fire in the restaurant. Oh, and I'm like, God. <laughs> I switched the phone on and, you know, tons of messages and missed calls from the restaurant. And then a flash from Aftonbladet, which is the Daily Mail of Sweden. Uh, uh, live coverage from fire at famous restaurant in Stockholm. Oh God! Yeah. Oh man. The mother put a live camera outside the restaurant, and there was just the you know oh. big chimney of smoke coming out of that building. And what had happened was that I had experimenting with hay. So that's why I'm a little like, oh, <laughs> mixed feelings with that ingredient. And then I was playing around, but I used too much. So that, that hay just went straight, I mean, like the straws without being burnt, you know, the, just the straw itself got sucked into the extraction, went straight up onto the roof, and then got stuck in the, in the extractor. So it was, like, it was pretty much like a propeller filled with grass, you know? It's oh, just like, so then, so then in the end, that was just like... <laughs> Oh God! Right, grind down and just stopped in the middle of evening service. You know, around eight nine o'clock in the restaurant, and the all the fire in the restaurant, the smoke. 
just went straight into the dining room oh. and it just filled up like you know what's that night in england when you burn your bonfires it's called bonfire night, yeah. Folk, so bonfire night <laughs> night. Yeah. it's exactly how it goes over here but yeah oh my god yeah yeah all the guests i mean we had to we were probably at the dry cleaner 67 <laughs> times that week but were you were you able to were you close for a long time? Yeah, we we to... closed for two weeks because yeah, there, there was the one the first week when we kind of like sanitized and tried to clean all the smoke down, and then the most difficult thing was to get a new engine for that extraction because we needed to switch that, uh, ex, you know, the engine and extraction that I threw all the hay into. So I had to get that from Germany. Um, yeah. Ugh. Man. so yeah it's funny when you first so came that, on one of the first things I thought about is god I bet they've got some big extractor fans in their restaurant and <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> quite important in, in, yeah in London now we clean our smoke as well so we have zero emission oh what as it goes up through because you're not allowed to have no. I believe it's a live fire and people can't have fires in London no. you can't light a fire in your your fireplace yeah. in central London no, we, we haven't been able to do that since <clears throat> although judging by the smoke around where I live people do it a lot there's a lot of wood burning stoves yeah. I'm sure people yeah. aren't supposed to have so it's interesting so how do you clean it then do you do, do, I mean well I mean it, it's it, it goes through a water bath it's kind of like a bong like a water pipe mm. so the oh, smoke right. goes through water and then uh the the dark particles in the smoke gets get stuck in the water and then you can just sort that out and then it's just steam comes out is that like a thing they would use in industrial factories that same technique yeah 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 it's an italian italians invented it i think that it's from rome or something where they had huge problems with all the pizza ovens and uh, and in and in germany too they have uh, it's very popular because they're not allowed to have any emission in in the restaurants. Goodness me. Now, Nicholas, yeah. we are unfortunately rumbling towards the end of this. As always, time has disappeared in an absolute puff of smoke. But um, we've got a couple mm. of things we need to talk about before you go. The first one of which mm. is a tin of nightmares. It's a tin of nightmares is what mm. I'm going to call it. Mm. The fish. Did you? I don't know if you mm. heard, but um, we... How, how do you pronounce for fish, Nicholas, first sur- of all? Sur- Sur, the which means sour, sur, yeah, and strumming, sur, strumming, which means herring. Yeah, what it doesn't mean is a liquid that makes you retch for Mm. up to two days afterwards, which is what I discovered. And we are lucky; we had plenty Mm. of emails afterwards from our listeners in Scandinavia telling us we did it completely wrong. We didn't eat it with the right stuff in the right way. But but I still can't get my head around the fact. But it's it's I, I I. I gave James thoroughly and really one brand. He said one brand, one brand and instructions how to eat it as well. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> <it>. And you, <laughs> you were, you were, you weren't listening. <laughs> well, I, I, to be fair, I was listening. Yeah. And I would say that really no one was listening oh. to me. <laughs> <at that moment>. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I tried to engineer it, but no, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was. <laughs> Your words were ringing in my ears. <laughs> that, day, I tell you, that day I was confronted yeah. with a spoon. And Nesta go, go on, eat it. Go on, I don't want to. Who ate it yeah. first? Who ate it first? We all ate at the same time. We tried to synchronise. Yeah, mm. I think it was, it's, yeah, it would have been, you'd have to check back. Did anyone vomit? Yeah, 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 me. Bit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
not mass projectiles, but yeah, everyone had a little little sick it, up. It, it was yeah, the way it kept going yeah. as well. After it was just <laughs> that thing. Anytime I thought of it, I could smell it again. I could still smell it now. <laughs> they just they 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 just did one of the, the I think the oldest foundings about food in Scandinavia just a couple of a year ago, two years ago, about the fermented fish in an in a lake somewhere that had been stored. I mean, it's just thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. Was someone going to eat it? Uh, yeah, no, no, they, they, they've oh. been doing this thing for, for ages, for a super long time. And uh, I'm, I'm actually oh. trying to ferment some myself, but doing it in the old way to do it in a more... Um, in a, in you know, in a, in a jar, uh, in a clay pot. I want to do it wow. and uh, do it like they did uh, underwater because what they did was that they used to ferment it underwater deep underwater but the jars were sealed were they yeah Airtight, yeah they don't really, they, to control the temperature. they don't know how they actually sealed them so that's one of the things that we need to figure out because of course the lid didn't survive uh, thousands of years but the the jar itself so they've found out so what they probably did was that they used the I mean, this is before the Vikings. They probably used the lakes and the water in the Baltic as a refrigerator because it had a constant temperature at a certain depth. So they could find, like, so they could, like, with rocks, find places where they could use as refrigerators and just store the the, the jars in there for to ferment and to to keep and uh, fish and meat and vegetables. Um, yeah, so I want to do that. And so I might come back to that surf drumming with you guys. Give you, give you, oh, well, give you sure the I'm older out. version. I'm pretty sure I'm out that day. I'm <laughs> oh, no, I'm. Oh yeah. Well, I'm in because I want to know. I just want to know. These things don't survive in the food culture for thousands of years unless there's something about them. But I just didn't get that, David. I think when we go to our, to, we're going to go on our mission to Scandavia one day and try to do some podcasts out there. And I think that's when we'll in, we'll, we'll experience it properly. Well, you'll need to go to one of those parties. It's crazy and you yeah it's a lot of fun what are these parties what we we the strumming parties what, what kind of parties the strumming parties yeah, yeah. open them yeah, it's, there's a strumming party yeah yeah no it's oh, it's, man, it's, a... it, it's something that you eat at uh, it, it's a i was thinking we're going to some really cool you know it's always daylight <laughs> party with music and no we're going to open tins of fermented fish and get party. drunk yeah uh, no I'll, I'll take you i'll take you it's fun <laughs> Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. There wow. we go. Now, a, a couple of things to include us in. So James is just going to take us into the world of meat in a second. But I had a couple mm. of a couple of fizzy drinks quizzes for you both here. So these are origin stories. See if you can guess the uh, the drink that was invented in this way. I've got two two things for you here. But it was I'm, we're always okay. curious about how these things start. So this drink. Can I guess, sir? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. You and James yeah. are going to get to guess. Okay. So this drink. Mm started out with a much less catchy label. It was called Bib Label Lithonated Lemon Lime Soda. And as the name implies, the lemon lime flavoured drink contained lithium, a drug used in psychiatric treatment of people suffering from bipolar mm. disorder. So this is a famous fizzy drink. Do you know what it is? Bib Could it be Fanta? Oh, no, not Fanta, but I mm. see where you were going with that, James. Mm. I'm going to go for 7-Up. Correct. 
seven up. Do you have seven up? And do you know what seven up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whiskey and seven. Yeah. It contains. Um, It's a drink. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of like I and now I remember Fanta was invented by the Nazis. I I, can, I remember that. Well, now, now you've ruined the next one, but that's exactly yeah. what happened for the next one. So you get a point for the next one, even though I've asked it. You get two points for getting the next one right before it's even yeah. been asked. <laughs> but there's a mastermind. He's good, isn't he? Uh, seven up, seven up contained lithium up until 1950, apparently, and it's even oh. suggested the seven the seven in the name refers to lithium's atomic mass and the up could be to do with the improved mood after taking mm. the substance which is curious isn't it um, yeah. see if you can guess this one uh this drink was invented due to a trade embargo on, on uh coca-cola syrup into nazi germany any ideas what that could be <laughs> can it be fanta Very good. <laughs> it was fanta it comes from the german word yeah. fantasy apparently um so yeah and it was it was made with uh we and pomace there's apparently a, a what? surplus what we uh, we way sorry we <laughs> i was doing the swedish translation way no they had they had they had they had, they had nazi we yeah like, it did it's, it's <laughs> you're gonna have for fanta pr whoever oh. some mega it'd be some huge phone call coming in after this there goes another sponsorship oh, deal to the toilet forever so if, 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 if we're not on next week you know what's happening the great fanta uh, lawsuit uh, so james yeah. take us take us into the world well, of unusual meats well oh, oh, it was it kind of thinking about the the surströming and it's it's unusual flavor and for people that haven't tried it trying to describe it i found a list that i don't know how it's been compiled and it's been put together from various sources of i suppose what you'd call exotic meats um some of which are, are distinctly exotic and probably illegal um <laughs> And what they might taste like, as reported by people that have reported having eaten them. So I wondered if you would like to have a guess at what you think these meats might taste like. And I'll give you give you three. Um, let's start off with something uh, quite straightforward, I think. Uh, porcupine. I mean, have you ever eaten porcupine, anybody? Nicholas, no? no? <laughs> Jay, no? No. I imagine you remove the, the pines or whatever, the, the spic- bits. Here. Apparently, it's, it's got the flavour of somewhere between... Um, guinea fowl and suckling pig oh wow I don't know quite how it's kind of unusual balance there but anyway suckling pig um, the suckling pig makes yeah. more sense i was imagining when you take all the spikes off it's going to be quite pale and it sounds delicious <laughs> it does doesn't it imagine putting <laughs> that on the fire <laughs> no, you could stick yeah. some, pineapple, some pineapple cubes on the on the spines <laughs> and just throw it on there yeah. Nicholas's complimentary toothpaste. <laughs> Nicholas's career was cut short when he was found in Stockholm Zoo <laughs> trying to <laughs> get hold of a porcupine. Oh, we do, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, let me. Um, you may or may not have, have, have tried this. I guess I don't know how, how mm. widely spread this eating is, but ig- iguana, iguana, which I guess that's a lizard, any right? Any kind of giant lizard, mm. any kind of giant lizard will probably transfer. Yeah. I'm thinking like I've eaten a snake, but yeah. never lizard. So what would how, what yeah. was snake like then? What? Do you remember? Was it nice? Kind of like fish, kind of like almost like. Have you had alligator? Yeah, I had alligator yeah, tail. So I've had a good. It was, yeah. it was uh, similar to that. Very chewy yeah. and sort of slightly tasteless. I found it. It was South Africa. Yeah, it's not great. No. Well, according to but my I, list, iguana tastes a little bit like rabbit. So I guess it has a bit more gaminess to it. Really? Know. Yeah. That makes no sense, though. No, it doesn't, mm. does it? Yeah. I no, it probably, been, why does? What it's been yeah. eating? Although we did find out T Rex was supposed to taste a bit gamey. 
Maybe. Yeah, that's true. Really? Yeah, maybe. Who knew that? Well, yeah, it was some university, he says, not really remembering his own research from a few weeks uh, ago. Never <laughs> trust anyone from the university. Yeah. It was in the Daily it's, Mail. It's all yeah. news. <laughs> it was a live feed outside your place. Yeah. How does well, Boris that, Johnson taste? Yeah. <laughs> well, a bit like porcupine. Well, today, yes. Go on then, James, what's our last meet? Last one, last one, last one. I'll yeah. finish with the last one. Um, okay, something that may or may not... Uh, would be something that you might have tried being being sort of more popular these days, but termites, termites, which I guess mm. may or may not pop up in the jungle program. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Termites have that kind of fatty. They're quite big, aren't they? Termites. Bulbous, they're not like ants. Bulbous. They're quite yeah, like yeah. grubs. They're like a wriggling, yeah. grubby thing. Oh yeah. So I'm, I, I, I was imagining it was going to be sort of like a like a jelly baby, like mm. <laughs> like a not a very. Wow. Do you think? Well, apparently they taste of lettuce. Which I can imagine is just what? Yeah, they were, maybe they have that high acidity. We have this one uh, uh, thing that we used to do as kids. We used to eat ants from a toast. Uh, uh, so we used to take ants on toast. In Sweden, ants on toast, raw ants on toast. No, but you kind of like you took you took the toast and then you spread it with a little bit of honey, thin, not too much. Just with a drip down you destroyed the the party and then so it needs to be thinly spread on on like a roasted toast on honey and then you went out to the wood and then you found a nice lively haystack no not a haystack um ant stack yeah you know the one of those and then you took the toast over it and then the ants started <laughs> spitting and dripping and getting stuck on that toast you did this you did this Everyone did it. Yeah. And you ate it. Yeah. Yeah. And what was it like? Was it just textual? Was it yeah. yeah I just, no, I think it was this just one thing that you used to do like and then you were like you were brave and you ate it and and and, and the ants gave the toast and the, and the honey acidity. So they were wow. sour. Uh, it has something to do with the like the ants defense system that they right. spit out high acid and that actually tastes a little bit like lemon or lettuce. Well, I've had the lemongrass ants, which obviously mm. came out of the Amazonas, you know, and, and I know Rene Redzepi mm. used as well. But I've, I've tried them and they were delicious. In a way. They tasted the they, they grass, ser- you know. They, they served them for a couple of years, actually, and mm. they made a big thing out of it. And then apparently they weren't that good to eat raw, they found out. Well, as in nutritionally, after... Yeah, well, I think they were even, like, dangerous to serve raw. And then kind of, like, they had to tweet that, uh, anyone that ever like copy oh, us, make sure to freeze the ants before eating them. Oh, okay. I thought it was yeah. like a callback for anybody who's ever eaten them to contact the restaurant. <laughs> to read. I was thinking, well, I didn't get that tweet. No, I didn't see that. I've just carried yeah. on. So, yeah. one of our traditional disclaimers yeah. for all our listeners out there please do not be going to try and get iguanas. In fact, if you go and get an iguana or a porcupine or any ants, do let us know. Oh, <laughs> what mm, so not to like. eat it. Don't eat it. We can't stop them. Don't there's, eat it. The, 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 there's, there's like a, a not, he's not a chef. He's more kind of like a food writer and a podcaster here in Sweden who ate his turtle the other week. Oh, how did he cook uh, it? Just out of curiosity, he made he made the turtle soup. He did. They he went. He went it. traditional, did he? he? Went. I've had yeah. snapping yeah. turtle, and he, the thing almost got me as well when he was catching it. Really? Yeah, he took my camera. He took the lens, big bite out of it. Hmm. Um, yeah, 
Yeah. But it's not well it's not great either when you eat it. There's a lot of things. I mean you can eat anything pretty much, but it just has different consequences, doesn't it? Yes. Like, <laughs> Wise words. That's a, that's and a, cultural context, you know. We you know yeah. there are lots of places that eat food for different rules and different things and it's very easy to for us to, to sort of yeah. judge it. It is from, from we judge it, yeah. Yeah, it is. So I'm always yeah. open-minded to that in the right circumstances, you know, not just for curiosity when it's, you know, just for fun. But if there's a reason, I'm always open to try stuff. Mm. I've, I've never tried mm. turtle and I am fascinated by it as a, as a, as a, as a, as a soup. I would, you know, I'd be yeah. intrigued to try that. Mm. I guess it's because there's not too many of them. And I guess that's the reason why you don't really want to do it. I mean, like hamsters, I have no problem with guinea. <laughs> either like there's just wouldn't eat my hamster <laughs> yeah there's, there's a lot there's a lot of them so yeah. <laughs> to all of our listeners out there please do get in touch with your experiences of anything unusual because we do love hearing them at journey to center of food mm. uh, on instagram and journey to the center of food at gmail.com and you email for you out there um but for this week uh nicholas what a joy that's been uh, a delightful spending time with you thank you so much for coming on uh it's been wonderful and people can find your cooking at extad at the yard in westminster yes right, please right now yeah 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 Get down i'm very there. close to 10 downing street so oh splendid we can knock yeah. it <laughs> well i'm interested to have a look just on a personal note because i believe obviously it's the old scotland yard building before they moved it to the new location it is yard. And so yeah. my father, this is very boring for the listeners, but it's just indulging me. My father-in-law, who's passed away now, Peter uh, Duffy, Commander Peter Duffy, was head of the anti-terrorist squad um, for the really? Metropolitan Police. So based there for, for many, many years. Yeah, so mm. I've, I've, in the wow. old days, a long time ago, I went to quite a few functions in Scotland Yard. Um, oh. Full of old policemen telling very gruesome stories. Yeah. Of, all their stories begin with, oh, do you remember when we found that body with no arms? We have the civil club next door as well. So, ah, yeah. okay. But fascinating yeah. Um, yeah. building to and be And the in, stables are still there. I mean, they're just they're literally in the back of our restaurant. The, um, and the you horse. mentioned something that uh, a Jack the Ripper connection, that you believe he might well have spent some time... If they say was in that's what they there. say i mean that's what the, the, the people say on the street they're telling me that where the restaurant is is where the jack the ripper was i don't know no one knows right no exactly no, well, no, no, never been caught yeah it's it's, it's ripper old you can get into that well, in your, on your sundays when you're back in london nicholas it's a good fun yeah. journey to take through london that yeah jack the ripper tour yeah. Oh yeah. Well, just even yeah. just read about it and follow. You know, just yes. Anyway, yeah. I guess it. I guess Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, London is filled with history. It's just great to be in London at the moment. I just I love the city. It's just an amazing city to be. Awesome. Well, good luck with the yeah. long winter, the long dark winter. Thank you again. We appreciate. Well, it. I'll be co- I'll be coming over for some tropical sunshine very, <laughs> very soon. So, yeah. I love this, <laughs> James. Thank you as ever. I will see you next bye week. Bye bye, boys. <laughs>